We are in a series, uh, listening to the Lord is the series, Zephaniah chapter 2. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there in the Old Testament. We're going through the minor prophets, and we went through Joel, and now we're up to Zephaniah. And we're in chapter 2 of three chapters. Now, Zephaniah, it's easy to pass that book. I like to say you're no less spiritual if you use the table of contents to find Zephaniah. Or you can just search it on your phone, Zephaniah chapter 2. The theme today is humility versus pride. And that is relevant for every person, every nation, every generation, humility versus pride. We can all relate to that on a daily basis. This is a daily choice. And I think what Zephaniah says is going to inspire and encourage us to trust God. And I want to uh, pray right now and let's uh, lift up mothers together. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us and your provision, your presence right now with us means everything. And God, we want to pray thanking you for our mothers. We are so grateful. And we pray, God, for some mothers right now, uh, Lord, who uh, maybe are wiped out, exhausted, that you would be their hope, that you would be their song today, that you would refresh them today. God, we pray for mothers who are in a difficult spot, maybe physically, even in a hospital, or physically not well, or grieving moms who aren't here anymore, children who aren't here anymore. It can be a difficult day in some regards. God, we thank you for our mothers. We want to honor our mothers today. We celebrate the mothers that you've given to us, God, and, and we pray that you administer to them, that you continue to help them, whether it's changing diapers or late at night or doing things when there's no applause. We pray that you continue to affirm and build up mothers and grandmothers with us today. And Father, we all need your touch. We all need your help. Lord, we pray that as we open your word, we would sense what you want to say to us. We would be receptive. Our hearts, our souls, our minds, we would draw near to you together. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Zephaniah was a prophet in the Old Testament, and the prophets had a significant role. They would listen to God and then communicate God's message. When you read through the Bible, names are important and the meaning of names. Zephaniah's name means Yahweh hides, Yahweh has hidden, Yahweh treasures. And the Bible says that God is a refuge. He's a strength and ever-present help in trouble. And you can think back in times in your life that were very difficult, where God seemed to wrap his arms around you, protect you, hold you close when no one else can. It's in the wings of the shadow of the Almighty. We find our refuge and our strength, and we go there together. Zephaniah personally knew of this because of all he endured during his life, but he also saw how God does this with his people. People who are humble and seek him and trust him. Now, Zephaniah, he spoke and ministered about 640 to 620 B.C. And as Zephaniah was growing up, he endured the reign of King Manasseh. When you look at all the kings in the Bible, the Israelite kings, Manasseh stands out because of the cruelty, because of the terrible decisions he made, and everyone was affected by Manasseh. Now, Manasseh reigned for 50 years. I'm going to share a couple things that he instituted. Idol worship, children that were killed and sacrificed, altars for star worshipers in God's temple. Imagine if we set up this area in front every weekend and we said, hey, if you want to come worship the stars, just come do it right here. <laughs> Forget about God, just come worship stars. And we set that up right here in the temple. That's what he did. Male prostitution 
in religious rituals and the shedding of innocent blood. The Bible says Jerusalem was filled from end to end the shedding of innocent blood. He was a tyrant and his son Ammon, very similar to dad, just continued that legacy. Zephaniah is writing as someone who saw arrogance and pride on full display with Manasseh and in the land. And he made a decision. Zephaniah is going to take a humble path. And if you've seen arrogance and pride and it's been displayed in your life, maybe you've decided to go a different route and go a humble route. And as Zephaniah takes that route, it's not going to be an easy route. But he knows deep inside something has to change. Have you hit that point in life where you're looking around, maybe in our community or in our nation, and you just know in the nations, something has to change. And you can't be quiet. You can't be passive anymore. And Zephaniah is going to speak up and he's going to share not what people want to hear, but what they need to hear. And I'll be honest, there's a difference in my life sometimes between what I want to hear and what I need to hear. Do you have many people in your life that'll actually speak up and say what you need to hear? Or are you just surrounded by people who say what you want to hear? There's a difference. Zephaniah stands out because he's listening to God. And he's going to speak it in truth and in love. And that's always important when you speak up. It's in truth and it's in love. Zephaniah is going to bring a message that the people need to hear. And the question then and the question now is who's listening to God? In a busy, fast-paced, sometimes selfish culture, who stops and listens to God and is in step with the Holy Spirit? Zephaniah is, and it makes all the difference. Let's be people who listen to God. Let's be people who are sensitive to the Spirit. Let's be people who are in the Word. Let's be people who just cherish, don't want to miss a word that God is saying. And let's give him our attention and our affection. That's how Zephaniah lives. And because of that, he's going to bring in this chapter four realities, significant realities, as we consider choosing between humility and pride. Here's the first reality. Pride and shame are inseparable and they're cruel. It's a cruel path to go down that road of pride. Pride, at first, it has that bling. It looks enticing. But if you choose pride and go down that road, it'll end up being a cruel path. Look at chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Gather together, gather together, O shameful nation, before the appointed time arrives, and that day sweeps on like chaff, before the fierce anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's wrath comes upon you. It's important here, I think, to distinguish the two kinds of pride because we use that word pride in our culture and it means two very different things, diametrically opposed. The first instance, we often say, I'm proud. Like I'll say, I'm proud of my daughter. And that context is that I affirm her. I want to build her up. I want her to know how special she is, how much she means to me. And I say, I'm proud of you. It's important when a child can hear, I'm proud of you from a parent. And that's very positive. We want to build each other up. Our words are important. So when we say that, nothing's wrong with that. That's healthy. But there's a different kind of pride right here. And in the Bible, this kind of pride that's a sin is one of selfishness and arrogance. It's one that's says, God, I don't need you. God, I don't want you. I know what's best about life. I'm number one. I'm more important than anyone else. I'm better than other people. And I'm going to grab the steering wheel and take over and over control. There's, that's the pride right here that we read about in this passage in a, an important distinction as we consider what is pride. Now, that kind of pride 
is at the root of sin. That's what's underneath sin. Sometimes with sin, we point out the actions. Adam and Eve, we say so much talk about the fruit. They ate the fruit. That's what they did. The sin was the fruit. Actually, the sin of eating the fruit that God said not to eat was just a display of what was going on in their hearts. The sin was in their hearts first, and it was a sin of pride. It was a sin of God you don't know as well as we know. God, we're going to do what we want to do, and God, we reject you and push you away. And that was all the pride that was in their hearts, and because of that, they took the fruit. At the, at the base of our sin is that pride and that arrogance, and it always leads to shame. Here's the good news. God can take away the shame. God wants to take away the shame. God doesn't want us in shame. He doesn't want us in guilt. He convicts because he loves. He warns because he loves. But if you go down the road of pride, it'll lead to shame. And ultimately, pride is very, very deceptive. There's so many people who say, oh, I have no pride, but actually they have a lot of pride. Have you ever been around someone who tried to convince you and tell you how humble they are, right? There's a little irony in that. So a lot of people say, oh, no, I, I know five people who have pride. I know five people who need to hear this message today. I'm going to share this message with five people. No, the message is for us. The message is for our own hearts, and it's pride is so deceptive. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 18, starting in verse 10. The name of the Lord is a fortified tower. The righteous run to it, and they are safe. That's the name Zephaniah, hiding in the Lord, finding a refuge in the Lord. We run to the Lord. And then the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. Money is a blessing. Money is from the Lord. It can be used for so many good things. But I'll tell you this, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And one temptation with wealth is that you can put your trust in your money and your bank account and your retirement instead of putting your trust in the Lord. So they imagine it. It's not a real security, but they imagine it to be their security. And then before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. The Bible says that it's pride that precedes the fall, but if you choose a humble path, it'll be a path of great honor. And God likes to teach in contrasts, and Proverbs is full of short statements, profound statements that are contrasts. And what we realize is that when we carry arrogance and selfishness in our own heart, it affects our relationship with God, it affects our relationships with other people, and it affects our inner condition. So today, we want to get rid of that pride. We want to humble ourselves. And I think this text right here, although some parts are not easy to digest, and you might have picked that up with Zephaniah, at the same time, uh, we really need to take note as the prophet's going to speak to the nations. Kind of like case studies, examples for us. Geographically, around Israel, there's going to be different nations that God's going to speak to here through Zephaniah. In the north, Assyria. In the south, Ethiopia. And then to the west, the Philistines. And the Moabites to the east. And God talks to all of them. God, not only individually, but also nationally, looks down from heaven and sees what's going on. Let's take a look at verse 4. Verse 4, here's the Philistines. And again, they're to the west of the Israelites. And we read... Gaza will be abandoned and Ashkelon left in ruins. At midday, Ashdod will be emptied and Ekron uprooted. Woe to you who live by the sea, O Carathite people. The word of the Lord is against you, O Canaan, land of the Philistines. I will destroy you and none will be left. Now, there were five major cities for the Philistines and four are listed here. The four that are listed are Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, and Ekron. You say, well, where's the fifth? 
The fifth is Gath. And actually, that one was already destroyed. In other words, note what happened in Gath. Sodom and Gomorrah are in this chapter as well. Note what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. Learn from the mistakes that have been made in the past. Learn from the negative examples that you see in your life. Learn from that so that you don't repeat it. You don't follow that example. You break some of the patterns in the culture. You're renewed in your mind and you set a new path. You know, in my family, I saw a lot of different things in my family. One thing is that there's a lot of atheism. And I bought into that. That's how I lived until I first heard about Jesus in college. And that was a totally different direction in my family. That was not a popular decision to follow Jesus because that really, talk about some generations there, uh, there was a whole new direction in my family. Uh, Other things in my family, I've seen a lot of divorce in my family. Maybe some of you have had a lot of divorce in your family. I've seen division in my family, in the relationships, in strife. I've seen a lot of alcoholism in my family. And some of you can relate to that. And I've seen suicide in my family. There's a lot of things in my family. You probably have some stories in your family that are pretty difficult. But you know, as you see those and you don't always choose those things, you can select a path that's different. By the grace of God, it'll be the grace of God and the love of God, glory to God. You can walk in a different way than the sins you've seen in previous generations. And in your family, it can be a new start. And you can set a new path for future generations. And it'll be by the grace of God that you trust God and you choose this path with Jesus that's going to be different than sometimes what we see in our land. And we turn to God's grace. We learn from our personal and our national mistakes. We want to learn from those and we want to honor and glorify God. And then in verse 12, there's uh, Cush. These are the Ethiopians. And there's two words in verse 12. You too. You too. And like I said earlier, it's easy to want to nudge the person next to you and say, listen to this. And God said, no, you too. You too. There's a prophet Amos who's not in this series. And Amos is standing up. He's got a lot of courage. He's not a religious guy. He's just hearing from the Lord and speaking up. And he's pointing out the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites. Like he's pointing out. And the people in Israel are like, yeah, that's right. They are out of line. That is wrong. And they're getting kind of fired up and excited. And they're like, you go, Amos, you go. And then Amos says, and you Israelites. And you're like, what, us? <laughs> Saw us is like totally sinless. Saw us is like totally clean. Saw us is not needing any accountability. And Amos says, you too, you too. And for the Ethiopians, it's you too, you too. You're not above, you're not above, you too. God sees the corruption the hate, the selfishness, the unforgiveness, the pride. He sees it all, and he's going to respond. The Bible says in this section that it's his anger and his wrath. That word literally means nostrils. You might think about heavy breathing through your nose. You ever been really angry? You ever been really frustrated? And you take that big breath through the nostrils, that's literally what it means. Then in the fierce is the burning. Probably no one in this crowd wrestles with anger or temper at all. I know it's not this crowd, but you might know somebody. I'm being tongue-in-cheek right now. Uh, you know, this is a parent. Every parent can relate to this. You're like, what did you just do? How many times have I told you? And that thing starts to just swell up in there, and you try to be holy. It's a little sanctification test. And you're like, oh, help me, Lord, right now. And uh, that, that 
anger. God is slow to anger. He's abounding in grace. He's abounding in love, but he also has limits and he's direct. You know, let's take a look at this because God has said it very clear and directly for hundreds of years before Zephaniah. There's a man, Solomon, who wrote the Proverbs. And Solomon, he had one request. God was going to grant, you know, as he was going to pray, God said, what do you really want? If God asked you today, what do you really want? What would you write down? What would you text? What would you write down? If God said, what do you really want today? What is it? Solomon said, wisdom. Wisdom was his request. God says, that's a good thing you've asked for. And I'm going to give you that wisdom. And Solomon wrote the Proverbs. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 1. And I want to read humility versus pride, what Solomon wrote, and God wrote through Solomon. That's the Bible, God writing through different people. And in verse 27, listen how God lays it out. Calamity is going to overtake you like a storm. This is the result of pride. Disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind. Distress and trouble, they overwhelm you. Then the people will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but I will not find me. Since they hated knowledge, they did not choose to fear the Lord. Since they would not accept my advice, they spurned my rebuke. They are going to eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will live in safety and be at ease without fear or harm. God whispered to the people. God spoke to the people. God rebuked the people in love. God guided the people. God offered advice to the people. And they just said, no, 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 no. And then they reaped what they sowed. And God laid it out. He lays it out. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. We read, God mocks proud mockers, but he gives grace to the humble. The wise inherit honor, but fools he holds up to shame. In other words, God is saying, don't go down this road. If you're going down the road of pride today, turn around. Come back. Let's come to our senses. Let's return to the Lord. Let's drop the pride. Let's humble ourselves before God. Let's humble ourselves at home. Let's be humble at work. Let's be humble people. Let's drop the pride. God is saying it's so clear, and the nation is so stubborn, and that's the tension in Zephaniah. Well, it leads to the second great reality, and it's nothing produces humility like seeking the Lord. Look at Zephaniah chapter 2 and verse 3. This is the heart of the prophet right here. This is the heart of the book. Chapter 2, verse 3. Seek the Lord. If you were going to summarize it in three words, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, you who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you will be sheltered on the day of the Lord's anger. Anyone can seek the Lord. Anyone here today, any age, any background, any list of sins, you can come seek the Lord. The Lord is gracious. He is faithful. You draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Right now in this place, you can seek the Lord. Uh, Many experiences in life are humbling, and the Israelites experienced some of this. They lost a lot of things. They lost land. They lost uh, finances at different times. They lost position. They lost power. They lost their idols, Have you ever had an idol in life? 
An idol is a replacement for God. You, let's say, put someone up on a pedestal and there, you know, you're number one. You push God out of the way. And what happens? That relationship changes. I see this in dating. Someone will date and that person becomes number one and God's pushed aside. And then well, all of a sudden there's a breakup and they just lost their idol. It's like they're scrambling. Well, when you lose your idol in life, you can be scrambling. And all of a sudden your house isn't on the rock, it's on the sand. They lost a lot of things. And in those losing of things, there was uh, maybe an unintentional humility. Maybe you've lost friends. Maybe you've gone through a breakup recently. Maybe you've lost a job. Or even a new job can be humbling. Moving can be humbling and starting over. Uh, all those experiences can be humbling. I've had experiences in my life. Uh, I know what it's like to have no money in the bank account. You, right? You know what that's like? No money. No money. Uh, I've had an experience where my childhood dream, right, professional athlete, was just crushed and uh, gone in an instant because of health. And I was fighting for my life for a year. That's humbling. If you're in the hospital, that's humbling. If you're fighting for your life, that's humbling. I was fighting for my sanity. I had an emotional kind of equilibrium that because of this prescribed medication, the side effects, was thrown out of whack, say, for years. And whether it's panic attacks or depression, I was fighting for my sanity. And that's extremely scary and humbling. And uh, some of us have had humbling situations. And God can still bring good out of the worst situations in life. And God can change our character. God can do a deep work in clinging to God, going deep with God. But uh, in addition to that, all those kind of unintentional things we don't want in life, there's an intentional humility. There's an intentional seeking God. And that intentional seeking God is the greatest path to a humble life, intentionally seeking the Lord. Now, uh, we had uh, our family time. And, and I don't know what it looks like in your life, but in my life, there'll be moments during the week where it's like God shows up or it's just so evident. And it could be outside. It could be while I'm driving or exercising. It could be in church. There's just different times during the week where you really sense God's presence. And it's humbling, amen? If you sense God's presence and it, it just humbles us. And on Friday night, our family, you know, we like that pizza and games. And then we were reading our Bible time together on Friday night, and the theme was the return of Jesus. And we were talking about different passages about Jesus returning. And it just hit me, that reality that Jesus is going to return. We're going to see him face to face, and our lives are short. And also there's going to be accountability. It motivates me to live for the Lord, to go all out for the Lord. But it's just a humility. And then not only do we read about Jesus, and then we talk to Jesus in prayer. And it was just one of those nights. And we do a lot of those before bed. But this night on, on Friday night just stood out to me that uh, we're now talking to Jesus together as a family. And there's something about being near to the Lord that just humbles us and puts us in our spot. Like, who are we, God? You are the potter. We are the clay. You are the maker, God. And we're so honored to be made in your image. And we worship you and we trust you and we praise you. And God, we're going to see you. And that's a big day. And God, help us to be faithful until we do. And uh, th there are just moments, you know, this is what you need to know about Zephaniah is he was the great, great grandson of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a well-known king. Hezekiah made some great choices. Uh, so he's royalty. Zephaniah is different than the other prophets. He is connected. He's probably related to Josiah as well. He has social standing. He has royalty. You know what? He throws that aside. 
He is not afraid to roll up his sleeves and get in there. He is not one who's going to sit around in entitlement. No, he's going to risk. He's going to stick his neck out on the line. He doesn't care about his reputation. He cares about being faithful to God. He's not interested in arrogance and pride. He just wants to be faithful in his generation. And so he's going to take a risk and he's going to seek the Lord. And that's where it all starts. He's going to listen to God. He's going to honor God and he's going to speak to the people. He's going to live a life of seeking the Lord. Let's live lives where we're seeking the Lord. And he knows, I think, deep down, the people he loves, this is what he's saying. Turning to God is the only way. Turning to God is the only way. Turning to God is the only way for our nation. Turning to God is the only way for us personally. Isn't it interesting how we like so many other solutions? I mean, we would say, well, what about this new method? Well, what if I just try a little harder? Oh, we're getting that technology. And there might be blessings in all those realms, but that's never a substitute for actually going to God. James, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this, James 4, 6. God gives us more grace. His grace is greater than our sin. That is what Scripture says. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God will strongly support those who humble themselves before him. You know, I was talking to pastors in this last month, and what struck me is how many pastors across the sound feel really exhausted, really stretched, maybe been criticized more than in previous years in ministry, maybe ever before. And there's so many different dynamics that pastors are wrestling with. And I'm not saying it's just pastors. I mean, think about parents at home and remote learning and schools and all of our teachers and educators and nurses. And those are, I mean, there's just a lot of effort in a pandemic. There's a lot of people going all out in feeling depleted. You say, well, where is that refreshment going to come? It's only going to come by drawing near to God. Uh, we had on Thursday night, uh, we had downtown Auburn at City Hall. We had a gathering and uh, you'll see a picture right here. And there was different pastors from the area, different leaders. This is just some of them, a few of them. And it was just a reminder to me, aren't you grateful that in a country like ours, where we have so much freedom, we can literally be downtown City Hall, Auburn. And as we gathered, what are we doing? We're sharing the good news of Jesus. We're bringing the gospel. We're praying together. Church leaders that love Jesus, uniting together in prayer. And you see, John 17, Jesus prayed for unity. And there's something significant and symbolic that right downtown Auburn, it's just a prayer that not only downtown, but in all the churches, not only in all the churches, in all the homes, in, in where we live, work, learn, or play, we would seek the Lord. You can seek the Lord throughout the week, wherever you are. And that's what the people needed to do in the nation during Zephaniah's time. And that's what we need to do in our nation today is to go right to the Lord. There's just no one else that's going to turn things around. We go right to the Lord. And this third reminder, this reality, is if you don't kill your pride, the Lord will. And I use the word kill because it really is a battle inside, that internal civil war every day between pride and humility. Well, let's go back to, again, the geography. The Moabites are to the east. And let's take a look at what's happening in Moab. God says in verse 8, I have heard the insults of Moab, 
and the taunts of the Ammonites who insulted my people and made threats against their land. Surely, therefore, as I live, declares the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, surely Moab will become like Sodom and the Ammonites like Gomorrah. It's going to be a place of weeds and salt pits, a wasteland forever. The remnant of my people are going to plunder them. The survivors of my nation will inherit their land. This is what they're going to get in return for their pride, for insulting and mocking the people of the Lord Almighty. The Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys all the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship God, everyone in his own land. So who are these Moabites? You know, the Moabites began incestuously with Lot and his daughters. And then the Moabites were cruel, and they were taunting, and they were ridiculing, and they were mocking. Then the Moabites had a king named Balak who tried to hire Balaam, a prophet, to speak curses over the people and destroy the people. Moabites, they worshiped Molech. They had children sacrificed. They were killing all of their children. In the book of Judges, they were attempting to wipe out the Israelites. It's just a pattern over and over and over and over and over again. And at the heart of it is the pride. Jeremiah is a contemporary of Zephaniah. And Jeremiah writes in chapter 48 and in verse 29, This summarizes the condition for the Moabites. We have heard of the Moab's pride, her overweening pride and conceit, her pride and arrogance and the haughtiness of her heart. I know her insolence, but it is futile. And her boasts, they accomplish nothing, declares the Lord. Therefore, I wail over Moab. For all Moab, I cry out. I moan for the men of Kir Hereseth. I weep for you as Jezer weeps. O vines of Sibma, your branches spread as far as the sea. They reached as far as the sea of Jezer. The destroyer has fallen on your ripened fruit and grapes. Joy and gladness are gone from the orchards and fields of Moab. I have stopped the flow of wine from the presses. No one treads them with shouts of joy. Although there are shouts, they are not shouts of joy. And God takes no delight in uh, when the wicked are destroyed. He takes no delight. But God, what is God doing? He's purifying. He's purifying. And he's saying enough is enough. If you've been mistreated for long amounts of time and you just wonder, where's God? Is God ever going to step in? This is a passage that's going to assure you that God will have the final say and God will straighten everything out. And God says, pray for your enemies and those who mistreat you. Uh, They're going to answer to God. And it's a reminder here. And then also one last area is Nineveh, and these are the Assyrians to the north. Let's take a look at verse 13. He will stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria, leaving Nineveh utterly desolate and dry as the desert. Flocks and herds will lie down there, creatures of every kind. The desert owl and the screech owl will roost on her columns. Their calls will echo through the windows. Rubble will be in the doorways. The beams of cedar will be exposed. This is the carefree city that lived in safety and said to herself, I am and there is none beside me. What a ruin she has become, a lair for wild beasts. All who pass by her scoff and shake their fists. Here we have Nineveh. And Nineveh, that might sound familiar because that's where Jonah went. And it's been said that Jonah was the world's worst evangelist. And we saw the greatest revival the world has ever seen in Nineveh. 120,000 people to someone that didn't want to talk about the Lord. 120,000 people turned to God. This was in Nineveh. But now we fast forward historically 
And what's happened? The people of Nineveh rejected God. They went back to their old ways. Yet, God blessed that city, and they're extremely prosperous. You can be prosperous materially, but spiritually you can be bankrupt. And they had rejected God, and this is a description. For over 200 years, they were known for their culture, their buildings, their technology, their gardens, their libraries, and their beauty. But then in 612, Babylon came in and destroyed Nineveh. Say, how is that possible? Nineveh had a wall that was 60 miles long, 100 feet high, 30 feet wide, and they had 1,500 towers to spot anyone who was going to come. Do you see how they built up that, that pride and arrogance? Like, we alone above all cities, no one could ever touch us. But this is what happened. The city was wiped out by the Babylonians to such a degree that for centuries, people questioned the existence. They, they looked at the Bible and said, Nineveh, I don't see that city ever existing. I don't see any evidence of that. The great city, Nineveh, <laughs> look who we are, doesn't exist. Well, it wasn't until the 19th century that, as always, archaeologists do research, and then what they find aligns with Scripture. And the archaeologists found, yeah, Nineveh really was there. That city was there. But that was what happened. You say, again, what is going on? All these different nations, what is God doing? Matthew Henry summarizes, it was not to frighten people out of their wits, it was to frighten people out of their sins. It was not to scare people out of their wits, it was to move them out of their sins. Because the condition spiritually during Zephaniah's time was one of complacency. And sometimes we notice the really obvious sins, but this sin of complacency when you get stuck in a sin of complacency, it's not always just going to be, yeah, one little change. When you really get stuck in complacency, and there's complacency in the land spiritually, it sometimes takes a strong, direct word to move people forward, to wake them up, and to help them realize who God is, his love, his grace, and his goodness. And Zephaniah was called to bring a strong word. And you might be called to bring a strong word in some of your conversations and your relationships. And I encourage you to do it in love, but bring the word that God wants you to bring. And Zephaniah does, and there's going to be fruit. The people's hearts are being tested. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness? Even though they were complacent those 40 years, to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. And we have an opportunity today because the purifying precedes the blessing. Sometimes we just want the blessing, but it's the purifying that precedes the blessing. It leads to our last reality. There are no limits on how the Lord will bless someone if you remain humble and abide with Jesus. There's no limits on how God will bless you as you abide with Jesus. Look at verse 6. The land by the sea where the Carathites dwell will be a place for shepherds and sheep pens. It will belong and it will be the remnant of the house of Judah. There they will find pasture. In the evening they will lie down in the houses of Ashkelon. The Lord their God will care for them and he will restore their fortunes. Remnant is a key word in the Bible. When a nation is going astray, there's a remnant who trusts him. There's a remnant who worships. There's a remnant who's going to follow and abide. And it's because their inner condition is humble. If your inner condition is humble, 
you fast. If your inner condition is humble, you pray. If your inner condition is humble, you serve one another. If your inner condition is humble, you tell others about the Lord. Look at Jeremiah one more time, the contemporary of Zephaniah. He said, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the riches or the rich boast of their riches. Those are all boasting options, right? Our strength, our riches. But let the one who boasts, boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I played a lot of sports growing up. That was my passion. I'll tell you, there's a lot of boasting in sports. Amen? Amen. I mean, the opponents will tell you how much they scored, how many times they passed you, how many mistakes you made. They'll boast, they'll boast, they'll boast, how many wins, championships. I mean, some of it's really fun and some of it's way over the top. When they talk about your mom, it's over the top, right? There's just a lot of boasting going on in sports. And there's something all of us, I mean, if you play family games, you might do a little happy dance. You might do a little boasting in the family game, right? That happens. There's something in us that wants to boast. And what God says that desire to boast boast about the right thing and there's one thing you can boast about boast about the Lord and his goodness don't be quiet God's made you to speak up about what is truly good in life and so boast about the Lord let people know about the gospel let people know about Jesus his miracles his teaching his kindness let G- let people know that Jesus overcame the grave and the grace of God is real for anyone heaven is real you boast about the Lord and I'll say this humility and boldness go together We've tried to separate the two. We think, oh, you can't be humble and you can't be bold at the same time. Let me ask you, is anyone more humble than Jesus? No. Is anyone more bold than Jesus? No. Humility and boldness go together. People who are truly humble are extremely bold, and they do it in love. So we want to open up our hearts today. And an encouragement as we close is that I mentioned, I mentioned Zephaniah started his childhood. Manasseh was the king, but things changed in the land. And you know what? Zephaniah spoke a bold word. He didn't step back or shrink back. He brought a bold word. And you know who is listening? Hilkiah the prophet. His name means the Lord is my portion. He had been listening to Zephaniah. You know what Hilkiah did? He discovered the Bible. The people had forsaken God's word and he discovered a copy of the word and he saw the gap between how the world's living and what the word says. And he said, we need to come back to the word. And Hilkiah spoke up and the King Josiah, he was eight years old when his daddy was assassinated. Can you imagine eight years old? He became king at eight years old because that's the system. Became king at eight, dad's assassinated, idols in the land. You know what Josiah did with Helkiah? Josiah said, we're going to come back to God. We're going to get rid of the idolatry. We're going to clean up the temple. We're going to, for the first time in generations, celebrate the Passover. We're going to turn back. We're going to humble ourselves before God. And I don't know exactly how it worked, but Zephaniah spoke. Hilkiah found the word, brought people back. Josiah stepped up in his role. You have influence. In his role, he stepped up, and things changed in the nation. There's no limits when we humble ourselves before God, when we're bold with the Lord's truth and love in what God can do. And as I invite the worship team to come up and lead us in praise, 
Uh, let's pause. What is God saying to you today? What is God saying to you about the condition of your heart? How could you pray today based on what God is saying to you? What is your prayer today for your own relationship with God? What's your prayer today for your family? What's your prayer today for Auburn? For Grace Community Church, what's your prayer today? How about the nation and the nations? If we humble ourselves before God right now, how is God moving? What is God saying? How will we respond to our great God? And you can pray right now. Pray for your family. Pray for the sound. Pray for the nation. Pray for the leaders in our nation. Let's humble ourselves in prayer. Humble ourselves before God. Let's turn from our sins. That conflict you're in right now, the answer is humility. Humility works. That's the answer. That career decision, decisions about generosity, decisions about serving people, decisions about bringing a clear, strong word that's good, humility's the answer. We take the humble path like Jesus. We take the humble path. God, we lift up our lives to you today. People we love, country we care about, nations around the world that we love so much. And God, we pray that we would be faithful in this generation. We'd be a humble people who listen to you and honor you. And Lord, we pray that our boast would be in your goodness and we would not try to steal your glory. Forgive us for selfishness and pride and do a new work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.